Okay, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, here we are, the biggest day of them all, the grandest stage, the 2020 NRL Grand Final and NRLW Grand Final, of course. Not just focus is not just on the men this week, but uh, who would who would have thought the time would go by so quickly, Tom? After this COVID inter- or this season interrupted by COVID, I know it's been a crazy year and. I'm really counting down the hours to Sunday, and who would have thought uh, probably six months ago when we were considering whether Rugby League would even get back up and running, especially at that crazy May 28 day for Project Apollo and Peter Volandis. But we're finally here. We're going to have a really great game on Sunday uh, in both the NRL and the NRLW. And, yeah, can't wait for it. Look, I mean, I guess we'll start with the one that more people are looking forward to. Not that the women's game is not going to be fantastic, but social media is obviously rife with, NRL, NRL Grand Final talk, and as everyone knows, got the Penrith Panthers and the Melbourne Storm. And look, I mean, I guess it's one v two, Tom, and I'm obviously it's probably the Grand Final that most neutrals or the gen, you know, in general, want to see. You know, the two top teams, but it's a pretty interesting one. Obviously, we know that Penrith are coming into this with what is it, 17 wins on the trot, or 16, 17 wins on the trot. Certainly, Melbourne have found their mojo as well, but. I guess the question has to be asked. Melbourne's obviously Melbourne seem to have an easier time, just you know, overpowering Canberra. Could you say that Penrith potentially played a grand final type match against the Bunnies despite that win? Yeah, absolutely. I, I tweeted out after the game that I just thought that the way South really um, ground Penrith out throughout that game, and it was a really tight affair. And you contrast that with the Melbourne game. Uh, on last Friday night against the Raiders, where they really just cruised home in that second half after opening up a really big lead uh, early on in the match. And it's going to be a big concern for Ivan Cleary to be able to get his guys up two weeks in a row. We saw last week what happened with the Raiders, where they got themselves up for a massive game up against the Roosters the week before, and were a little bit sluggish out of the gates this week. So Penrith will be looking for a really fast start if they want to, uh, if they want to beat this Melbourne lineup. Yeah, we're going to have a potent day, but. I guess in Lenny, it was probably a very uncharacteristic performance from Penrith in as well, Tom. Obviously, you know, we saw them making some pretty basic errors and I guess just not manning up like they had in those previous 16 games. And we, I mean, I think social media was rife with it as well. You know what's going to happen if you, if you let the storm have too much ball, if you let them, you know, stay camped in, in your own territory, they're going to punish you for it pretty much every time. Yeah, absolutely, and they're going to have to be near perfect, the Panthers, this week. Just that Storm lineup has so much experience on the big stage. We've seen it in grand finals, state of origin, World Cups, internationals for Australia. But the stats have shown that Penrith are more than up to the challenge this season. They've got really potent outside backs and two of the most informed second rowers in the competition in Kikau and Liam Martin. And if you look at the ladder for this season, you know both teams were very comparable in attack. Penrith scored 537 points. The Storm just three points behind on 534. But Penrith were significantly better in defence. They only considered 238 points compared to 276. And you know that was perhaps a little bit of a, a difference in the matchups throughout the year. And Penrith, you know, people have claimed that they've had an easier draw throughout the season. But, you know, you can only put, play what's being put up in front of you. And they've done a tremendous job all season. But they'll be hoping uh, not to do a New England Patriots for any NFL fans out there who'll know that uh, a couple of years ago, they went perfect season and then choked in the Super Bowl against the Giants. Yeah, it goes to show any, anything can happen when it comes to sport. And obviously, you look at the two teams, Tom, and obviously, obviously as it is one versus two, so they're pretty evenly matched. 
what what one or two matchups when you look at the two sides intrigues you heading into this one? Yeah, I really like the matchup of the two halfbacks, actually. I think that, obviously, Nathan Cleary, no surprises there. I think that Blue Eye's been too good and too dangerous over the last couple of weeks, and Craig Bellamy will be really making sure this week that he doesn't slip under the radar. So I think that he'll command just as much, if not more, attention than Nathan Cleary. And I did think Cleary had the best game last week, but I'll be looking for him to replicate that form that he showed in week one of the finals, where he basically just kicked the Roosters into submission. They were made to work for everything and can you know, sort of constantly trapped inside their own 20-meter zone. And the Panthers, they're going to have to do that again this week because the Storm are just a team, as you said a couple of minutes ago, that you just can't give them an inch, as we saw in that first half last week against the Raiders. And then you compare that on the other side for Melbourne with Jaron Hughes. I was listening to a podcast with Dan Ganane and uh, Joel Kane a couple of weeks ago, and they said that a ridiculous high, a ridiculously high proportion of Clive Churchill medalists are between the ages of 24 and 28 and have played a grand final before. And you know, immediately the, the name that comes to mind there is Cam Munster, but with all the attention that falls onto Smith, uh, Munster and Pappenhausen, I think for me, Jaron Hughes has to step up and take control of that side. We saw it last week against the Raiders where I probably thought they would attack the Raiders' right-hand side defense more than they did, but they did most of their work down in uh, attacking the left. Funavalu was great, probably his best game in a while for mine, and the reason for that was how uh, how well Hughes controlled uh, controlled the attack. He had you know three try assists, and I reckon uh, this week he could really uh, step up and you know, cement his place in that big four. Yeah, he's certainly come a long way, obviously, you know, more of a full, it was deemed as more as a more of a fullback or traditional fullback when he came in, but obviously, you know, once Cooper Cronk left, he was throwing the deep end, and yeah, the last couple of years Hughes has, you know, really been a key part of that uh, that you know that Storm side alongside Munster, Cam Smith, and of course the emergence of Ryan Pappenhausen, and I guess that takes me to probably the battle I'm looking forward to. Obviously, you know, Dylan Edwards Dylan Edwards is a you know quality fullback in his own right, and certainly knows how to, you know, ruck it out when it matters, help out the forwards. And I guess is probably an underrated piece in many ways, Tom, when you look at the success that Luai and, and Cleary have had for the Panthers, as well as Coruscant at hooker as well. But sort of what what are you expecting from Edwards and Pappenhausen and how can how can the two of them help their side win the game on grand final day? Yeah, I think you nailed it there. It's going to be all about the starts to the sets, getting the teams in the right positions so that they can mount an attack later on um, and really just build that pressure. You know, as I was mentioning there with that Roosters-Penrith game at the start of the finals where if you just see a team trap the opposition inside the 20, it really gives them nowhere to go. And, you know, we've got two exponents of that in very different ways. We've got Dylan Edwards, who, as you mentioned, just loves to ruck it out consistently up the top of the uh, charts in terms of run metres for his side, alongside Josh Mansell, who's inside the top five uh, in the NRL for total run meters this season, which is pretty impressive, um, up there with guys like Tuivasa, Sheck, and Tedesco. So, uh, you know, Dylan Edwards is no stranger to that work. But for Ryan Pappenhausen, you know, obviously his size is a major disadvantage when you're trying to really ruck it out. We've seen a number of times throughout the season. We saw it a couple of times last week where, you know, he'd charge it back hard and then just get driven back by the larger defenders. And, you know, if he can get some uh, attacking moves going from inside their own half, then you know, that could be a different way of the Storm rucking it out, you know, maybe not the traditional just sort of, you know, tackle after tackle, uh, just hit-ups, but instead uh, we might see some attacking plays uh, from Melbourne inside their own 50 and, you know, a, a couple of little counter-attacks. Yeah, I think we saw glimpses of that against Canberra as well. They certainly, I mean, as you said, obviously, you know, many were probably thinking they were going to go down, you know, that, that or the Storm attacking right edge, but they ended up, they went left quite a fair bit with, you know, 
obviously at Okara and stuff. And, you know, they certainly Pappenhausen chiming in there. So I guess for the Storm, it's, it's really just about continuing what they've been doing and pretty much just trying to exploit any perceived weaknesses that they see. And I guess you look at the form of the wingers as well, Tom, for both sides, and it's got to be, you know, pretty impressive when you have guys that you know can finish well, they can ruck it out, they make good metres, and I guess in the end pretty much are just as important to their sides as the playmakers. Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, four really great storylines for four of the best wingers uh, in the game, four of the best finishers in the NRL at the moment, in my opinion, and we've got Josh Adokar, his last game for Melbourne. He made that clear to the side earlier this week that he'll be coming up to Sydney next year. We've got Suliaski Vinavalu heading off to the Queensland Reds Rugby Union next year, so potentially his last game in the NRL ever. We've got Brian Toto, you know, what a great success story he's been this year. Came back from that injury and really gave that Penrith attack an, an extra gear and an extra level. And Josh Mansour, you know, an absolute stalwart of the game for the last best part of the last decade now. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a fan in the game who, who doesn't love to see Josh Mansour score a try. Yeah, there's plenty of good matchups from 1 to 13. And obviously, I guess the debate can be made that the Storm bench is probably slightly stronger, obviously, you know, with Nelson Asafa-Solomona and I guess a couple of guys that Craig Bellamy just seems to get the best out of. But I guess to, to wrap things up in terms of the NRL Grand Final, Tom, who are you picking and who's your who's your Clive Churchill tip? Yeah, look, I just can't go past the experience of that Storm side in what, you know, potentially will be, what is shaping up to be Cameron Smith's last game in the NRL. And, you know, what a great celebration it would be for him to go out on top. And so I probably like the Storm, you know, probably maybe by eight points. I think Jerome Hughes is a real chance to, to snag with Clive Churchill. And I think that Justin Old is probably unlucky last night to uh, miss out on a centre of the year position. Uh, I think that he might be a good shot of snagging the first try scorer. Now, what about you, Ricky? Yeah, I probably got the storm as well. I mean, I think I think the fact that they've been there, they've done that, they've made four grand finals in five years. They've easily been the most consistent side of the last decade. And, you know, all the the majority of their guys have been to a grand final before. And I guess a lot a lot of teams go in sort of thinking that, you know, it can be another game, but it's certainly the storm are well equipped in how to approach these sorts of games so I think it's it'll be a good game it'll be a close game but like you I think just that experience and the fact that you know they've got guys and and a coach as well who you know won grand finals as a player as a coach and has been there done that seen everything it's going to be a real challenge for Penrith to try and overcome that given how how comfortable Melbourne is with this environment and I think Clive Churchill I think I'm going to go with Ryan Pappenhaus and I think if there was ever a game where he can stamp himself and sort of creep into that, you know, top three, top four fullbacks in, in the in the game, essentially, that I guess the general public see this is the time. And I guess there's no time like the present to to make a name for yourself. And, you know, traditionally it probably does go to halves more so than fullbacks, but we've seen what Ryan Pappenhausen can do with ball in hand and how he chimes into the attack. So I think could be a real, I guess, a smoky in many ways to, to grab that Clive Churchill medal. Yeah, sounds you know, some very strong picks there as well. And I think, yeah, just quickly there on Pappenhausen as well, that I, I this could be a real state of or a state of origin audition for him. I think that he will be well and truly in the mix for potentially that utility spot on the bench. And, you know, what a great um, credit to him it's been, the way he's been able to 
really, you know, jump into this starting role this season uh, at Melbourne and really, you know, uh, turn himself into a real superstar of the game. Yeah, certainly plenty of good matchups, plenty of great players. You know, it should be a very, very good contest. And look, as too should the NRLW game, Tom, obviously, you know, I guess it's a, a rematch of the of the uh, the third round of fixtures with the Broncos and the Roosters. And I guess it's a bit of an interesting one, Tom, because we know that Charlotte Kaslick, obviously she didn't play last week either because she had a suffered a small fracture in the back. And I guess that really changes the way that the Roosters attack. But I guess probably the most interesting battle in this one is the battle of the two halfbacks. Obviously, you know, we have Ali Brigginshaw who has been the absolute catalyst for this Broncos side since the NRLW season started. So led the, led her side to back-to-back premierships, obviously going for the third in a row. But Zahara Tamara has really come, in to, come into her own as, I guess, as the, the primary playmaker of this Rooster side as well. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw last night she was nominated alongside Brigginshaw uh, for that Player of the Season uh, award that Brigginshaw ended up taking out. And as you said, we've got great matchups all over the park. Probably the battle I'm most looking forward to is the matchup of what I think of, or, sorry, of who I think are probably the two most informed props in the women's game, Millie Boyle for the Broncos and Philomena Hanisi for the Roosters. I thought that the Broncos did a great job of stopping Hanisi last weekend, and she's really going to have to step up this weekend and increase her involvement. I think she only had seven runs last week for about 45 metres, and you know if she wants to give the Roosters a chance, she's going to have to you know, push forward alongside her, you know, her partners in crime in there in the forward pack, and we get uh, those attacking players like Zahara Tamara and Corbin McGregor into the positions where they can uh, launch some attacks on that Broncos defence. You know, last week we saw the Broncos really didn't give the Roosters much of a chance in that game. But I think what last weekend showed us is that uh, both teams are matched up really nicely. Again, as you mentioned, it was a Brigginshaw and Upton show for the Broncos. And uh, yeah, as you said, the loss of Kazuik is uh, huge for the Roosters. They'll lose a lot of their spark and experience on the big stage without her. But Fingers crossed for them that Vetty Welsh might be able to come to the side and sort in for them at fullback. Um, she's named in the 19, and that would be a massive boost for that Rooster side. Yeah, I was just about to make mention of that. Obviously, we know how good Vetty Welsh can be as well. And, you know, she did it at the Roosters in the first season, went to the Dragons, but obviously we know that Sunny Bremner came back. So Vetty Welsh decided to come back to the Roosters, and, you know, she's certainly shown her class as well. But I think probably over the last three seasons of NRLW, a play that, I guess that you look at Tom, and obviously she did take out the tackle of the year in the NRLW comp- in the NRLW competition last night. Is probably Hannah is Hannah Southwell, obviously, but I think it's you know traditionally we I guess many probably wouldn't associate the the women's game with that same sort of toughness and and just I guess bruteness that the men's game can have, Tom, but sort of. What does it do for a side when you have a player like Southall who, when she hits, the player stays hit? There's no, you know, getting out or there's no trying to shrug off, you know, shrug her away. And I guess, you know, for those teams to try and get a, get a roll on, sort of how important is Hannah Southwell to this Rooster side in general? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen through our stages of uh, this year in both the NRL and the NRLW just the importance of uh, having a real strong forward pack. And we see that with all four teams playing this weekend. And as as I said earlier with Phil Minna Hanisi, Hannah Southwell and her combination with girls like Samaya Mataufa, it's going to be super important this weekend in you know giving the Roosters the go forward that they require to uh, make their way through what is a very strong Broncos pack. And you know I, I wouldn't be overly surprised if we saw an upset this weekend. And 
you know, it would be a real boil over. But, you know, both sides with real quality right over the park. And, you know, uh, girls like Southwell with plenty of experience playing for the Jillaroos. We've got plenty of origin representatives. I think we're in for a really great clash. Yeah, no, look, we certainly should be. I think much like the men's game, I don't think it's, I mean, I guess the Broncos probably ran, almost ran, essentially ran away with it in the end, but obviously it's a grand final, different atmosphere. So I think, I think it'll be a close game, but I think when you look at it, I think given, given what we know that Briggenshaw can produce, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, she ends up being not only player of the match, but player of the tournament. So I guess for me, I'm, I'm probably going to take the Broncos, but in a very close one for that women, the NRL women, NRLW grand final. Yeah, I think if the Roosters can keep it tight early, then I'm with you. I think that the, the Broncos can just sneak home in the end, probably by six points. I like Warren Brown for first try scorer there out of dummy half. I think we've seen quite a number of dummy half tries this year in the NRLW and players really taking advantage of the extra space in and around the ruck. And then yeah, I know you can't really go past Ali Briggenshaw to double up after winning player of the year last night. And uh, she'd be my tip to claim player of the match honours in this one. Yeah, certainly be a very interesting clash and should be a terrific grand final day with the NRLW and NRL grand finals. And I guess, look, we'll be back here next week to dissect it all and, you know, see who's performed, who didn't and, you know, what it means moving forward. But I guess we'll move on and obviously, you know, I guess we've been touching on the season review element and how teams have gone and we found ourselves at with ninth and 10th position, Tom, and, I guess given the situation of both teams, obviously it was the Titans that finished ninth and the Warriors finished 10th. And I guess these two sides probably had, I guess, tough seasons in a way to start at Tom. Obviously we know, we know what the Warriors went through and, you know, it was, it was just, it was a tremendous feat for them to, I guess, sacrifice what they did for the game to, to be able to resume. And the Titans who, I guess, probably up until, round 12 to 13 probably probably looked like they were going to you know finish bottom three and we know that they charged up and I guess we'll start with the Warriors Tom obviously as I said you know they they sacrificed a lot as a team and Todd Payton got the best out of them you know we saw probably if not career besties very close to it from a lot of their guys like Tuivasa Shek, Tohu Harris, you know Cody Nikarima, Paddy Hiku and I guess in the end it probably finishing 10th probably justifies the form that those guys were in. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, a real strong year for them away from home. Uh, I think they won the Proven Summons medal last night as a club for their efforts to keep the game running. And I think that's a real credit to their organisation. You know, over, I guess, over time, the, the Warriors haven't been one of the top clubs in terms of destinations that players really want to go to, to, you know, further their career. But I think they're really developing into that. And really, uh, I think this year, will go a long way in terms of building a really strong club culture. I think that you know, both the Warriors and the Titans are two teams with massive upside for next year. We've got Nathan Brown coming across to the Warriors. Adam Fanua Blake will be a huge addition to that forward pack. We've seen over time what he can do or what he's done for that uh, Manly Seagulls pack. And, uh, you know, it's no coincidence over, over the periods being there that they've had a significantly better winning record with him on the park. They'll get Ewan Aitken into the centres next year as well to partner guy like Peter Hiku, who we've spoken about a number of times this year, is having a very strong season. Uh, I think there's little doubt that it was his his best year of his career, which is you know uh, great news for a guy that's been around in the league for a number of years now. I think another guy you mentioned there was Torhu Harris. Really loved the way that he was able to transition between the second row and the lock, depending on 
different matchups and different requirements as the year went on. And that versatility did a lot for that uh, Warriors outfit. And you know, I'm sure that'll be something they'll be looking to carry forward into the next season. Yeah, look, it certainly will be. And I guess looking into this, obviously for the Warriors for next year, Tom, they could potentially boast. I get one one of the you know the top forward packs in the competition. Obviously, as you mentioned, Fanua Blake is head of that away as well. They've got Ben Murdoch Masilla coming in, and I mean when you look at that, I guess from eight to thirteen, you know we could potentially see a starting front row of. I mean I know Murdoch Masilla has apparently been playing quite a bit of back row in uh, for Warrington in the Super League as well. So I guess it's where he fits in remains to be seen under Brown, but you know potentially a, a pack of uh, Fanua Blake will start, maybe Murdoch Masilla or even someone like a Lachlan Burr or, or you know, Jermaine Tenor Brown will start again. And then you move to the back row. We obviously saw what Eli Katoa did this year. Fantastic season for him. And then Harris and T- Harris and then potentially Tavanga at lock, not to mention the blokes that they can have on the bench as well, like Kane Evans, Jack Murchie. It's really looking like a quality forward pack for 2021 for the Warriors. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I think that Jazz Tavanga, when he returned from injury in that second half of the season, he really added another layer to that forward pack, as you were just mentioning there. And uh, his addition for next season, hopefully, you know, for, for the full season this time, uh, will, will be huge in terms of getting them into the positions where they can really uh, launch some attacks through guys like Tuivasa Shek. For me, the Warriors' season next year will ride on the success of their two halves. Uh, we saw Cody Nikarima and Chanel Harris-Tavita really nail down their spots. Uh, the six and the seven uh, in sort of the second half of this year. And, you know, with probably little competition there other than Jaden Nikarima, who we spoke about uh, last week or the week before, they're really going to have an opportunity under Nathan Brown to, you know, to develop and uh, really take control of this team and determine the direction that they want to take that side uh, moving forward, both into 2021 and beyond. Yeah, certainly could be a very good season for the Warriors in 2021 and equally for the Gold Coast Times, Tom. I mean, we've touched on it numerous times over the last few months, just the way that Holbrook has been able to, pretty much in this first full season, has just seemed to turn this side around. And we know that they've signed David Fafida, they've signed Herman SASA, certainly strengthening their side in more ways than one. Tino, Tino Farsaw Maliawi as well. And much like the Warriors, Tom, the Titans are going to have a good and relatively young forward pack that is, I guess, really going to propel them moving forward and, you know, take some pressure off the likes of Brimson and, and Ash Taylor in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I think that everyone's side to watch next year. They'll be everyone's second team. You know, everyone loves to see the Titans do well after what's been a tough couple of years for, for their organisation. And, you know, it's going to be a really interesting season under Justin Holbrook. We saw that he was able to steer that team definitely in the right direction, especially in those last five weeks of the season where they went unbeaten against some you know, pretty pretty good opposition. And I think that it's going to be much of the same story as the Warriors. They've got that nice forward pack, as you were mentioning, guys like Dave Feeder and Tino Fasumulawi. But it's going to come down to those halves again. Can Ash Taylor and Jamal Fogarty put it together uh, for a full season, stay on the field and healthy? And you know, if they can, we could be looking at a guy like AJ Brimson as a bit of a smoky uh, for the Dalian next year. So I guess l- looking at what the sides, the two sides have done so far for 20, 2021, Tom, can you one? I'll, I'll ask you, do one or both make the finals in in uh, in 2021? Uh, I'll probably say one. I think that the 
Titans can make the finals. I think that the Warriors will challenge and they'll be there and thereabouts, but they may just need an extra year under Nathan Brown to really put it together. I think that the Titans are perhaps one year further into that plan with Justin Holbrook now going into his uh, second or third season as head coach of that club. Yeah, look, I, I do tend to agree. Obviously, you know, it's it does help when you've already had a coach for a full season when players have bought into the system and they certainly seem to be doing that at the Gold Coast and as we said, their additions only make the side stronger. And, you know, I'm expecting good things from Nathan Brown and the Warriors. Obviously, we know how well Brown can, I guess, rebuild sides and help them achieve their potential. But, yeah, probably the Titans just. And, yeah, look, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they do go in 2021. And they've certainly got all the talent at their disposal. So should should be a good season for them. And, and so many, many fans will hope as well. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's great to see... Uh, teams that perhaps weren't expected to uh, have strong seasons in uh, 2020 really, you know, for a long stage of that, uh, for a large chunk of the season, compete for the top eight. We saw the Warriors, you know, for a, a long time there, they became everyone's second team as uh, everyone was sort of cheering them towards that push to the finals. And, you know, if they were able to do that in the uncomfortable environment away from their family on the Central Coast, then, you know, who knows what they can do next year back at home in Auckland. Yeah, certainly looms as... Very exciting seasons ahead in 2021 for the Warriors and the Titans. And look, I guess we'll move on to the news that has pretty much been plaguing social media for the last 24 hours. And I guess who would have thunk it, Tom, that here we are. Obviously, it's the majority of it was done virtually given the COVID pandemic. But here we are. The Dallium Awards, traditionally speaking, is, you know, I guess the the night of nights for rugby league in at least within the NRL, and a few hours before they announce the winner, an article gets leaked saying who the winner is. Obviously, we know it was Jack Whiten. But I guess a couple of things on this one, Tom, is, I mean, we everyone is like, you know, how does it happen? And obviously, we know how it happened in, in a way. You know, Phil Rothel put out a tweet and everything. But number one, I guess it's not just a great look at all, you know, to know the winner in advance when it's meant to be that build up and that tension. And I guess just that raw emotion on the players faces as even they obviously aren't too sure. And number two, Jack White sort of came out of left field to win this one, didn't he, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. You know, obviously on that controversy, it almost feels like that, that scene from the Simpsons where they've got that sign up with the, you know, the number of days since the accident and then something always happens and it's always on zero. And it feels like, you know, perhaps the NRL's got a counter of, of years since the Dallium controversy, and it just can't get away from zero. We've got, you know, last year we had the, the incident with Craig Bellamy and the, uh, the so-called, uh, you know, betting, uh, the, the fixing scandal for Coach of the Year, and now this year we've had the, the leak. Personally, I, I think that the leak's been blown out of proportion, and, you know, I think that, you know, in years past, we've seen, whether it be from, uh, you know, sports betting companies or, or the like that we've been able to basically predict and uh, know who the winner is well uh, well and truly in advance of uh, the actual ceremony itself. But, you know, obviously it was disappointing and, and it you know, ruined the ceremony uh, for those who, who found out the news. But I think that uh, we, we can put it all in context and I don't think anything should be taken away from uh, Jack White, who's had a really great season. He really took me by surprise when the news came out. I sort of saw the the leak and I'm like, no, Jack White, it, it can't be. You know, he's had a great season, but I thought, you know, either Gutherson or, or Cleary were definitely a shoe in for that. 
uh, award, but, you know, um, great work to Jack Whiteney's. I think that the way that the, the DAOEM is set up uh, benefits players who perhaps don't have as many stars around them. We've seen like a guy like Gutherson has Mitchell Moses, uh, Reed Martin to take points off of him. Nathan Cleary has uh, Jerome Luai, Dylan Edwards, Apsai Coruscant, who had strong seasons as well. But uh, once Josh Hodgson went down, it was really the Jack White show there at Canberra. And, you know, whether that's a true indication of who was the best player across the season, I guess that's up for debate. But I guess there's no doubting that, you know, Jack White really put that Raiders side on his shoulders and carried them right through to the top four. No, I mean, he absolutely did. I mean, particularly, well, probably probably from about round 13, 14, I guess, obviously, there were all those questions about Canberra and, you know, whether they could, you know, continue to score points after what was a seemingly barren run to start and could they muscle up in defence and they do all that stuff and obviously it really made it easy for for Whiten to do his job and he's, you know, he's one of the best running 5.8s in the competition and I guess with that, I guess obviously on, on Whiten because he's involved in this section as well, Tom, is I guess the second bit of controversy that many seem to, to look at was obviously it came down to round 20. Jack Whiten was was rested, so he didn't play. Canberra fielded that incredibly young side. Clint Gutherson plays round 20 against the West Tigers. Nathan Brown and Junior Paulo get three points and two points respectively. And then one point does go to Luke, I guess goes to Luke Brooks. And I guess the the issue that many had, and I guess obviously myself included being an Eels fan as well. And so it's more just thinking, you know, how they come to their decisions. Luke Brooks gets the one point, and despite Clint Gutherson getting two try assists and producing that try-saving tackle on Luke Garner with just a few minutes to go, sort of, I guess it makes you wonder, Tom, that one point, it would have tied it up, would have had dual winners again like we had a couple of times. <laughs> I guess when you look at it, sort of, what do you think is the thought process of the judges and when, you know, when they're allocating points and, and you know, sort of, <laughs> I guess, was it, was Luke Brooks worthy of the point in the end? So, yeah, I think it's a difficult one, obviously. I think that what makes the Dalliam such a complex process in the 3-2-1 voting system is that we're not voting on consensus. And that's something that we see particularly in the US through sports like the NBA uh, and the NFL through their MVP voting. That's all done based on consensus. No one voter has really any power on their own. And that's what is you know, demonstrated here in the NRL. And I know we were having, uh, I know there were discussions last year about uh, particular voters and the way that they were putting their votes up and whether they were, you know, really giving an accurate portrayal of the game. But I think we've got to remember in that game, for, I'll preface this by saying, I think that Gutherson, you know, with two try assists, a line break assist and that tackle at the end definitely deserved, uh, you know, at least one point in that game. But, you know, I don't necessarily think that, you know, Eagles players deserved the 3-2-1 there. I think that, you know, the Tigers put up a very good fight and were, you know, dominated a large portion of that second half where we really had the Eagles on the ropes there at one stage. We had Luke Brooks put in, a, ironically, Luke Brooks, who got the one point, put in a, uh, an absolutely woeful kick earlier in the tackle count and really turned the momentum. And that just goes to the point that everyone has a different perception on the game. And, you know, one person, perhaps the voter, I'm not exactly sure who the voter was on that game, but... Uh, Perhaps they valued the Ford performances uh, over Gutherson's attack. You know, it's really just one opinion against the other, which makes it so difficult and why I think we may end up seeing a consensus system 
uh, you know, brought in in years to come. Yeah, well, I guess there's already some chatter, I guess, in light of everything that's happened that the NRL is going to look at overhauling the system, potentially even concealing the results for the entirety of the season instead of, you know, closing it up at, at round 12, which is obviously when it goes behind closed doors. But, you know, I guess that remains to be seen, Tom. And look, I guess while we're on the Tigers, obviously, uh, rookie of the year went to Harry Grant. And, you know, I know, I guess there's some that look at it and think, oh, you know, Harry Grant played in the Tigers and the Tigers finished, you know, what was it, 12th, 11th or 12th and, you know, weren't great. But I guess when you look at the Tigers this year and the way that Harry Grant was essentially able to be the, the best or close to the best player in that team, it speaks volumes as to, I guess, his approach to the game. Obviously, the comparisons he's drawn to, a, you know, a Cameron Smith. I was going to say younger Cameron Smith, but he's still performing like you, you know, like he was when he was 27 instead of 37. But it was the right call in the end, Tom, for, to, for Harry Grant to be Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I'm obviously a little bit biased in in that decision, but I, I like to agree with that. I think that if you look at the Tigers' performances throughout the year, their strongest performances were towards the start of the year when uh, Harry Grant was pay, playing at his peak. I think. You know, the Tigers' best performance came against that woeful Brisbane lineup at Leichhardt um, midway through the season where they put up 48 points. And, you know, Harry Grant was exceptional that night to the chance of Harry that went up across the, the hill in the, the grandstand. And I think that the Tigers really fell off at the end of the year. I think they lost five or six straight uh, nearly to end the season. So, you know, that probably coincided with an injury to Harry Grant and, you know, perhaps Grant splitting some minutes with Jacob Whittle, uh, who was still returning from an ACL injury. So, I think that, you know, the Tigers' success this year really uh, lined up with that of Harry Grant, and I, I think it's a well-deserved honour, and, you know, I'm pretty disappointed to see him leave next year back down to Melbourne. Yeah, certainly uh, interesting times ahead in the hooker off for the Tigers, but, yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I think, you know, although there were plenty of other rookies with great seasons, I mean, you look at Toby Rudolph, uh, you know, I guess Stephen Crichton as well, who I still don't even know what, what the cutoff is, whether it's three or four games, so if he was eligible or not. But obviously, I guess his first full season, you know, got plenty of other guys as well that managed to have sustained periods in, in first grade. But, yeah, it's hard to go past Harry Grant just based on how he was able to to look so good and trouble so many sides over the course of the year. Yeah, and you look at a guy like Stephen Crichton, he was a, a benefactor of the Panthers' attack, whereas I think Harry Grant from the Tigers, he was the attack. Yeah, I guess that makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, when you are the attacker, obviously shows, and I guess that's why you, you know he was performing strongly in the in the Dalian as well. I mean, he, I think he was first when it went when it when uh, went behind closed doors after round twelve. So shows you how influential he was, and I guess equally influential in the competition, Tom. But for a different reason, is Roger Tuivasa-Shek. Obviously, he took our captain of the year, and I guess all things considered, with this season, the sacrifices that. I guess he made more so than others. I think there was a story with about three to four rounds to go. He hadn't seen his family in six months, obviously. You know, the Warriors going to Tamworth and then basing themselves, you know, eventually where they did. So for him to have the season that he did in general, it's 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 a no-brainer in a way, I guess, that he was given captain of the year for 2020. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I can't argue with that that choice. He was up there in the top five for run meters across the season. And I think that's just a true indication of the effort that he put in and uh, a real captain's knock by him, leading by example for that side, with which you know entered the year as one of the, a real young side in the NRL. And, um, you know, he's been able to mentor a number of those guys like Eli Katoa, 
uh, and Jermaine Tanoa Brown uh, right throughout the year and uh, developed them into real uh, perennial first grade starters now. Yeah, and obviously they'll be looking to do that in 2021 as well. And and uh, I guess ju- just as important captains are to the team, so are coaches, Tom. And I guess Ivan Cleary took this one out, but I guess obviously I, it makes sense why, you know, Penrith 17 games or 16, 17 games unbeaten in a row. They won the minor premiership and I guess have seen that sustained success this season. But I mean, was was it the choice that you would have gone with, or were you, or would you have liked to have seen someone like Todd Payton or or Justin Holbrook get that honour, given the way that they were able to change their two sides respectively after pretty poor starts? Yeah, I think the Coach of the Year award is so different from everything else because it's got so many different criteria and everyone views the award very differently. For me, I think that uh, Ivan Cleary was the right choice last night. I thought that the way he's been able to steer that Penrith team around where he created a strong club culture there. You see the way that these guys just get up for one another, and I think that's a real credit to the coaching staff. I guess the real test for Nathan, uh, for sorry, Ivan Cleary next will be next year. He'll lose Trent Barrett as his assistant coach, and you know a lot of people are giving Trent Barrett uh, a lot of credit, players included, uh, in you know his ability to really direct most of the attack, while uh, while Ivan Cleary looks after the defence and a few other things in and around the team. So, you know that'll be the real test next year. And then, you know, as you said, guys like Holbrook and Peyton probably, you know, uh, saw the biggest improvement in their sides uh, under their tutelage, but didn't quite get the same results, obviously, as, as Cleary. So it's a difficult one to pick, but for me, Cleary is the right choice. Yeah, look, certainly, obviously, I guess, make makes sense given, you know, the way Penrith played the entire year. And, you know, obviously, they had a couple of blokes in the, the Dally M team of the year as well. I guess looking at starting with fullback Tom, Clint Gutherson, obviously tremendous season for the Eels, obviously finished second in the Dally M voting. I guess despite the what people see as the top fullbacks in the game, Gutherson is in many ways sort of creeping up into potentially becoming one of those guys based on this season, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. I definitely have him in that top tier of fullbacks now, probably alongside guys like Tom Trebojevic when he's fully fit. Definitely James Tedesco, potentially Ryan Pappenhausen now alongside Kalen Ponga. And, you know, it's very dangerous sides for uh, dangerous signs for Queensland, knowing that four of those blokes potentially might be uh, lining up throughout this Origin series for New South Wales. And I think that the way Gutho was able to really uh, steer that your eel side around with a lot of passion this year, uh, you know, it was a real enigma for the attack. And I think that's something we're going to see for years to come at the Eels. I don't know, right? Eels fans love the bloke. That's why he's, well, he was christened King Gutho by media, but it caught on. So everyone, and everyone calls him King Gutho. But, uh, and obviously, I guess both of the wingers named had pre- pretty stellar seasons as well. Tom, obviously, you know, David Norfoluma from your Tigers, well-deserved. I mean, probably his, his best season in first grade, you know, given that just 18 months ago he was playing reserve grade and Josh Adokar was the other, the other winger, I guess, maybe. For some, a surprise not to see Alex Johnston there. Obviously, you know, won the Ken Irvine medal for most tries this year with 23. But obviously, you can't take anyway from Ado Carr, who has enjoyed a pretty pretty good season for the Storm overall as well. Yeah, and I think that Ado Carr uh, probably flew a little bit under the radar this year. Not for Luma, got a lot of the headlines for the Tigers. But I think that Ado Carr probably produced what we've come to expect from him, which is, you know, pretty high expectations considering that uh, he, he came out and won that award last night. And I think that 
uh, alongside Nofa Wimmer, potentially both lining up at the Tigers next season. Could be a, a, an interesting uh, one to watch. But I think uh, as well with Ado Carr just moving into the centre position, that was probably a contentious one. Uh, I think I agreed with the choice of Stephen Crichton. Katoni Staggs had a, a, probably a stellar season for the Broncos and uh, would have been selected for Origin if not for that ACL injury. But at the same time, I thought Justin Owen was really flown under the radar this year. I thought that uh, he had a, a great season uh, in the centres there for Melbourne. And, you know, on both sides of the ball, attack and defence, I think that he's uh, really, you know, shored up that defence and provided them a nice, strong attacking option when they're in their attacking 20. Yeah, Justin Owen certainly doing Papua New Guinea proud with his exploits. And as you said, I mean, I guess the last 18 to 24 months have has really seen Olam come a long way. And yeah, probably unlucky to miss out. I mean, I guess another guy, you know, we've spoken about him as well that I thought if obviously, if not to win, it would have come very close is Zach Lomax as well. Obviously, since he made that switch to centre upon the resumption, I mean, we all know how well he was able to perform in even when the Dragons were getting, you know, batten, battered and bruised as well. And I guess it's a testament to him and obviously plenty to build on to become or to maintain that elite centre form. But I guess when you have so many centres that are performing, Tom, it's always hard to narrow it down and, and I guess have everyone have everyone agree with, with just two. Yeah, of course. And I think that uh, Lomax was probably a little bit of a victim of the Dragons' poor season. And unfortunately, they just didn't score the the quantity of points required to get him that uh, that gong last night. Yeah, exactly right. And look, I mean, I guess probably probably the two surest bets this season, just based on form, I guess where they finish in Dally M, the six and seven, Jack White and Nathan Cleary, not not many arguments there. No, not at all. I guess the one competitor for uh, Jack White was going to be Luke Cleary, but he didn't quite have the second half of the season that uh, many thought he would. And then, yeah, Nathan Cleary, definitely no arguments in that one. I, and obviously, you know, move on to props. Josh Papali, I guess, well, I, in my eyes, probably at, pr- at present is probably the best prop in the game, obviously. You know, not just for what he does with ball in hand and making metres, but you only have to go, th- you know, look at the try-saving tackle that he made on Jamal Fogarty against the Tynes, which did win the award for best tackle of the season. And I guess it goes to show you that heart and that, you know, desire that he has to pretty much win it or cost Tom and I guess maybe the surprise on the flip side at number 10 for, for some is James Fisher Harris I mean obviously we know he had a, a tremendous year in his own right and you know has been a key part of that Panther side but a couple of other couple of other forwards that you probably look at and think wow that came really close to to getting it like you know Junior Paulo um I'm trying to think of who else there was a couple anyway yeah or Junior you know Junior Paulo and and sort of I guess other guys that potentially could have gotten it but didn't is is Fisher Harris the the second pick for you? Yeah, he probably is for mine. I'm just reading through some of the stats here on the NRL website. Second in post contact meters, uh, second in total runs, just behind James Tedesco, and uh, third in total run meters. So yeah, uh, you know both guys there, Papali and Fisher Harris, only missed for one match this year, which speaks volumes about their durability, which is so important and in the league this year, especially with uh, little rest periods, no buys. Um, and then their defence as well, as you mentioned with Papali, um, Fisher-Harris almost in the top 10 for tackles. So I think they were the right choice. As you said, Junior Paulo, probably the most improved prop for me this year. Uh, probably a little bit unlucky. If there was a third uh, third prop uh, award, he's 100% getting a pick. 
no, he look, came very close, maybe unbiased, but no. But I, I guess the two had stellar seasons, obviously, you know, the stats are indicative of that. And I guess the back row, Tom, is obviously Torhu Harris was probably a surprise pick for many, but, you know, based on the season that he had, it was, was richly deserved. And I guess we look at Kikau and I take nothing away from Kikau's ability. Obviously, I've, I've said I've I've put this question forward to Penrith fans in the past and spoken about a lot in all the you know the spaces of rugby league that I'm in. But is in terms of consistency, Tom. Obviously, we know the key count isn't there yet. And when you look at other back rowers in the league this year, they have been more consistent. Uh, the half a dozen games where Kikau absolutely excels, a justification for him to be here, or is it a surprise that they've gone? I guess for a player who, like obviously, you know, knowing what Kikau can do, for the that half a dozen games he has where he excels over someone who may be more consistent. Yeah, I think you've only got to look at the other award winner in this position, Torhu Harris, an absolute measure of consistency throughout the year. And while the Warriors didn't quite have that success, that versatility we mentioned earlier gave his side a massive boost. And you know, week in week out, you you knew what Torhu Harris was going to provide. He was going to be solid in defence. Provide you know another option in attack, but probably not in the same way that Kickout uh, can really damage a side as we've seen on many occasions. And yeah, I think that while he hasn't been as consistent, I, I say that he probably does deserve the award. I think that uh, he scored the the most tries of any forward in the league. I think he's got seven this year, and um, no one's oh, sorry, only I think one forward has more uh, tackle breaks than him. So you know, I guess it's a great indication for kick out and the Panthers moving forward that we're still discussing you know potentially how he could improve his game when he's already up there as one of the elite second rowers in the competition I think that you know if he can really add to that consistency perhaps inject himself a little bit more uh, when they're rucking it out uh, really get them you know moving forward alongside guys like Fisher Harris and Yo I think that they're in a really great spot uh, Penrith moving forward into next year even if you know, regardless of the result this weekend. I should just say, if any Penrith fans do listen, that's not me saying Kika didn't have a bad season. I'm playing devil's advocate, sort of just making making light of the point that many like to bring up on social media. We know that, you know, a lot is a lot is said and there's a lot of, you know, banter and discussion between fans and, you know, Kika is an elite back rower. So, you know, it's justified based on how he was able to take control of games, but I guess like anyone, like any Penrith fan, like a neutral, you want to see a player be as consistent as possible. So I guess it's that's the next step, as you said, for Kikau and, and for his game to develop further. Yeah, 100%. You know, Ricky, you've got to look after your reputation amongst those Penrith fans. You're already much maligned as a Parramatta Hill supporter, but I think that, yeah, you're 100% right. I think that it's frustrating to watch uh, as a fan, I, you know, there's probably no better big man in the game to watch when he's fit and firing than uh, Viliami Kikau. And it's just annoying that we don't get to see it more uh, throughout the year. But, you know, hopefully for Penrith fans, he brings out one more big performance on Sunday and uh, can win them the competition. And I guess the final position, Tom, lock of the year, Isaiah Yo. Again, probably not too much of a surprise. Probably he's had, without question, his best season to date in first grade. Yeah, 100%. He's really, you know, developed his game into, you know... A, a real measure again, like Torhu Hash, a measure of consistency in that lock roll week in, week out. We knew what we were going to get from Isaiah Yo, and he's been a guy that's really floated around with a couple of positions over the last few years. We've seen him in the second row a lot, but I think he's really found a, a long term home in that lock roll this year. Yeah, look, he certainly has, and obviously, 
the Dally M's were last night. That's a team of the year. People still talking about, pardon me, all those controversies and, you know, what can you do? It's it's there, but congratulations, Jack Whiten, for taking out the 2020 Dally M and to all award winners. And we say it every week, Tom, there's always news in rugby league, obviously outside of the Dally M's, which was the major talking point. And I guess we'll start with the probably expected additions to the New South Wales Blues spot. We've got Jack Whiten, Nick Kotrick, I guess, maybe a surprise, but also at the same time, not unexpected. And we have the the trio of Rabbitohs, Cody Walker, Damien Cook, Cameron Murray. Probably not too many surprises there. I mean, it is a 27-man squad, so obviously not everyone will make it, but certainly five guys that deserve to be in, in that squad leading up to Origin. Yeah, 100%. And uh, just on Cody Walker there, he's another guy that I didn't mention in that 5-8 year debate, but he had a really strong second half of the year. I saw some comparisons on Fox Sports today of him uh, of his second half of the season to Jared Hayne in 2009 and the way that they really stormed home with that Parramatta Hills side. And I think that Brad Fitler's got a lot of exciting options when it comes to that 14 jersey. We'll probably see Keary partner Cleary, although we could see Walker sort into that six role. But in that 14, we've got guys like Pappenhausen, Walker. If he doesn't make the centres, we've got Gutherson, Zach Lomax, who can cover a lot of positions. So there's a lot of great options moving forward for uh, Fitler and the Blues. Yes, certainly not something that New South Wales has probably seen in the past, obviously. You know, it's it's sort of been a set and forget, or not a set and forget. So I guess, sorry, the opposite. It's been a chop and change and, you know, one bad game you're out. But I guess probably for the first time in a while, Tom, there seems to be a a plethora of options to consider in, in numerous positions. Obviously, fullback as well. You have, you know, Pappenhausen, Tedesco, Trebojevic, obviously, when he's fit, Clint Gutherson. Then you go to the centres, you have, you know, guys like Crichton, Campbell Graham, who I guess probably unlucky not to be in that larger squad given the second half of the season he had as well and scored something like in eight tries in seven games or whatever it was, something like that. So it's probably, I guess it's good to see New South Wales being able to draw on so many possibilities, seeing as once upon a time they didn't have that those number of options. Yeah, 100%. I think we'll see the Blues really enter this year as overwhelming favourites. Obviously, Queensland have had a number of injury problems uh, and guys you know, become unavailable for selection. And what a great credit it is to the junior programs that are in, uh, operating in New South Wales at the moment that you, know, you can take out James Tedesco uh, from that fullback role for Origin 1, uh, well, perhaps. Uh, as, as the reports have been coming out this week, and you've still probably got you know, a squad that's looking like it may uh, be able to dominate that Queensland lineup. And look, I guess on the topic of origin, we have a former origin, Queensland origin representative in Ethan Lowe. Obviously, he's had a spent some, you know, was with the North Queensland Cowboys, went to the Bunnies, sort of rejuvenated his career, but he's had to retire Tom because of a an ongoing neck injury. I mean, look, never the way you want to go out as a player. I mean, you know, he was obviously a, I guess, underrated sort of back role, but certainly did his job for the Cowboys and Souths and, you know, was there when the Cowboys took out the premiership as well. So disappointing way for a, a pretty good career in the end. Yeah, it is. And a little bit, disapp- uh, yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, it is. And, it's, you know, it's a little bit disappointing that we're not going to get to see him play a little bit longer. It feels like he's been in this league for an absolute eternity, but still only 29. He's been around for, well, close to probably nine years now. Long stint there at the Cowboys. Was there for that premiership win. Uh, the, and then the, the World Cup Challenge win as well when they went across uh, to the UK. And then 
Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, a, a really valued member and experienced member of that Origin outfit. And, you know, what he's provided to South over the last couple of years with a number of young guys like Bailey Sirenen coming through the woodwork. And, you know, he'll provide a lot of experience and guidance to, to and mentoring to, to guys like Ciro. And, you know, that's going to be a, a great benefit to their careers moving forward, which is such a great credit to um, Ethan Lowe and, and the player he's become throughout his career. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, obviously, you know, being able to pass on that wisdom to younger guys is obviously something that the veterans or the players that have been around longer look to do. And I mean, I guess we move to the Knights. It's a very for Connor Watson is resigned for one year. This is an interesting one, Tom. Obviously, we know that Connor Watson was he was picked in the 17, whether it was the 14, the six, or the nine position. Played one game of hooker. That Knights curse struck. He you know got injured, missed the rest of the year in what, mid-year or so, give or take, sort of, do you see Watson slotting back in and man, so potentially something, obviously they got Jaden Braley to come back as well, who did his ACL, so there's plenty of options there. Does Connor Watson stay as the man in 14 for the Knights, given his versatility? Yeah, not really sure where he'll line up. I think there's still got a little bit of player movement to come over the next few weeks, especially as we hit that November 1 deadline, and I think that you know, potentially he might sort into that 14. Otherwise, we, we, we could see him in the nine role, depending on how Brayley's recovery goes. I think anything to get Kurt Mann back into that six jersey, because I thought that the uh, the Knights looked far more dangerous with him at six throughout this season, uh, as we mentioned on a number of occasions. So I think it's uh, good news for Adam O'Brien's side that they've got plenty of plenty of depth in, in that spine and, you know, plenty of uh, good options moving forward into next year. Yeah, and depth is always so important in... Look, I mean, I guess on the topic of depth and sort of how it can affect your side and how you have to, I guess, look at different options. Kyle Flanagan, Tom, obviously, it looks like he's been told by the Roosters, you know, you'll be here for 2021, but that's it because they've got a, I think they've got a young, a young guy coming through the ranks who they're pretty keen on. Is that a surprise to you, Tom, that the Roosters, I guess, they're almost very willing to get rid of Flanagan despite the fact that, I mean, of course, he's no Cooper Cronk, but he probably hasn't been as bad as some are trying to make make him seem. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I've seen a number of guys jump to his defence this week. Nathan Brown. I know Brayton Astor on Fox Sports linked, uh, oh, sorry, likened Flanagan's uh, career to the same trajectory as uh, Nathan Cleary. And, you know, I, I wonder if uh, Kyle Flanagan's been used as a little bit of a scapegoat this year for the Roosters not, you know, making it back to the grand final and succeeding in their quest for the three-peat. But, you know, it's quite sad because I don't think he's had that bad a season. I remember back to that game against the Broncos uh, earlier in the year when they put 60 up and you know, he was really instrumental that day and you know, laying on a number of tries for the guys outside him. And, you know, I thought that we might be able to see perhaps him, you know, link up with a guy like Angus Crichton next year and, you know, into the future as well. But, you know, I think there'll be a number of clubs that'll be signing up for his services because I think that, you know, he's a uh, you know, pretty handy half to have in your ranks. He certainly would be. I mean, plenty of sides could use him. And, I mean, you could go through, what, three or four sides that could use a halfback of his quality. But I guess, on again, on the topic of halves, we've seen Tanner Boyd, Tom, re-sign at the Titans, obviously. You know, the beauty of a guy like Tanner is he can, you know, play a couple of positions. He's performed well at the nines in the past. Obviously, when he's, when he's played first grade, hasn't looked out of place. And I guess he's probably a guy that will keep Ash Taylor and, and Jamal Fogarty on their toes moving forward as well. Yeah, definitely. And we might even see him, you know, challenge for the hooker role next year, as we saw him come off the bench a couple of times this year. 
I know Mal Meningo really rates him highly as one of the top prospects up there at the Titans. And, you know, that's a, a pretty good indication if you've got Mal Meninga, you know, um, giving a pretty strong credit for your, your career so far. So, you know, definitely want to watch into next year. And, you know, what an exciting team to sign on for for, for next season, as we were describing earlier. Yes, yeah, certainly will be. And look, I guess probably a signing that had Dogs fans pretty pleased as well was the signing of Jack Hetherington from Penrith. Now, obviously, you know, he's known as an enforcer sort of player and certainly has the, dis- the disciplinary record to, to justify that one, Tom. Yeah, I mean, for a guy like Hetherington, do, do you let him play that sort of style and, and potentially run the risk of him seeing suspensions regularly? Or do you get into curb it back slightly while still maintaining some aggression? Yeah, I think you've got to find a balance. And we've seen that in the, uh, in the past from guys like Keegan Hipgrave up there at the Titans. I thought he had a much better second half of the year once he really toned down that aggression a little bit. And, you know, you've got to play sensible footy in the league at the moment, especially the way that, you know, momentum swings um, yeah, so strongly under the, the new rules that, you know, look set to stay into next year. You can't be giving away too many penalties or six agains because, it, you know, it just absolutely cripples your side. So, you know, I'm sure he'll be working with Trent Barrett. Um, I know Barrett was uh, pretty vocal this week in his support for Hetherington. We've seen Hetherington up at the Warriors at stages throughout this year. So uh, it'd be, you know, good to see him at a, at a new club. And, um, yeah, fingers crossed for him. He can really have a career year next season. Yeah, certainly. Good chance for him to cement a spot in that 17. And, well, that wraps it up for another week of the Take the Two podcast. Obviously, as we touched on, two big games on grand final day and we'll all, both of us will be back next week and we'll d- dissect all of the the drama potential drama that could come from the games yeah fingers crossed little drama and uh, lots of action this this year hopefully we can go one year without a, a grand final controversy but you know that's rugby league for you it's going to be unpredictable and i can't wait for sunday night likewise we'll catch everyone later